There's some 316 verses in the Bible that are important. John 3.16, obviously. And here we're going to talk about a very specific verse in Luke 3.16, maybe not as prevalent as John 3.16. You're not, you're not going to see Luke 3.16, you know, carved out or, or written out on a bed sheet at a football game, but you will see, obviously, sometimes John 3.16. John 3.16 is that is that total verse of the gospel that everything about the gospel is wrapped up in it, but the secondary idea of the gospel, this concept that we talked about last week of baptism, but specifically the idea of baptism with fire comes out in Luke chapter 3 or chapter 3 and verse 16. Now, you might wonder what in the world are we going to talk about fire for? Is this a pyromaniac church? No. No. Holy Spirit is constantly referred to as fire in the New and Old Testament. The Spirit of God, in many sense, is related to as fire. Now, that's caused a lot of controversy in church history. People have decided to define the, uh, the idea of fire and related to God in many different ways. So as we're talking about this idea of seven experiences, these are seven very specific things that Jesus expects us to have and unfold in our life. Luke chapter 3 and verse 16 is John the Baptist talking about the person Jesus as he was to come talking about the person Jesus who he said, I'm not even fit to tie his sandals. The one coming after me, he will baptize, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. See, John understood he baptized with water. He was called John the Baptist for a reason. He led people down to the river. He put them under the water and brought them back up. We talked about this last week in our water experience. That we have an experience where we wash away the old dead man and what comes up is new life in Christ. But then John makes a marker of the person of Jesus and says, I, I only baptize with water as a symbol that your old dead life will go away and it will come back up and you'll live new in Christ. But there's one who comes who will baptize you and then the Holy Spirit and fire. John could do no more than to baptize with water and it was a token. It was an idea of purification and cleansing of these people that they would wash away the once dead person, that they would wash away their old life and come up new. Christ, though, he can and will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. He can give the Spirit to cleanse and to purify the heart. Not only as water washes away the dirt from the outside, but the fire, it cleanses out, cleanses out from within. It melts even metal, maybe cast into something new. This is the God that we serve, that he gives us two experiences, one where we lay down the old dead life, and the other where he is a consuming fire and purifies your life. The old school pastors used to call this holiness. It's a word we've lost in church. It's a good word. Holiness doesn't mean that you never see anything that is maybe a little controversial, right? You never experience anything that's a little controversial because you're holy. can't be around that stuff. That's not what holiness means. Holiness is not talking about the idea that you have, you know, the bun on the back of your head, you wear nothing but dresses, and you don't put on makeup because you are holy. Holiness is not about a pastor in a suit and tie. I like to wear suits and ties from time to time. It's not holiness. Holiness is not someone who's so devout that they spend five hours in prayer, give all of their money, serve every waking hour they can at the church. Holiness is the concept, <laughs> excuse me, that our God is a consuming fire. Holiness is the idea that he burns from within to without. That he can literally consume us to purify us. Fire distinguishes between more than just this instrumental idea of water baptism. 
but it focuses on a spiritual element where the children of God are baptized into the kingdom. There's a declaration of faith that's made at baptism where we go under the water, we come up and we tell to the people around us, I am made new, I'm going to live this life in Christ the best I can. But there's a different experience that we see in Christ where we are baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. And in this concept, it is the idea that you are now being molded. You, the, the, the framework of who you are is being melted down, purified, and now remade into a person of the kingdom. You are now no longer a person of the old dead society you lived with. You put that life away. But you had to have a structure or a scaffold to be remade into. And that remake, to be re-engineered into something different, is to be baptized into the kingdom. Excuse me. You know what? I'm going to be very happy when we move into a building where all the HVAC works appropriately. <laughs> Hallelujah, it's humid in here. Anyway, is it just me? No, okay, thank God, I thought. Maybe I'm having hot flashes. I didn't know I could do that. <laughs> if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2 and verse 3. Very specifically, we see that John is prophesying to this one moment where Jesus would baptize in the Holy Spirit in fire. Through his earthly ministry, Jesus wasn't a pyromaniac. He didn't set people on fire, right? We don't see that. We see him healing people, not hurting people. We don't see Jesus walking around with like a torch and, and tapping people on the head. And now you are dubbed the baptized. Hallelujah. It's like some kind of knighthood. We don't see that. What we see is an event post-Jesus' death and resurrection where the Holy Spirit comes in. The most literal sense is this idea of Pentecost where tongues of fire lay on the person. There's also a metaphorical sense that alludes to the idea that there's a burning zeal and an illumination of the Holy Spirit. This concept that we are consumed with fire in God's presence is not one where we are being punished in God's presence, although it's been used that way. In fact, it, it changed a, defin a definition uh, by a, a gentleman named St. Jerome in the Catholic Church. He translated the Bible. He was the first guy to translate the Bible into Latin. He lived about four, in about 400 AD is when he made this translation. When he translated the Bible, he said the concept of with fire meant to judge, that the Holy Spirit would come, but that there would be a judgment. And for many years, people believed this concept that Jesus came and the fire of God came as a means to judge. Yet we see another bishop later on, Bishop Wadsworth, tried to refashion the idea and change the concept a little bit. He said it was to purify, to illuminate, to transform, to inflame the holy fervor and zeal and this very unique idea that he pulls from 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 3 through 9, this idea that the fire lifts us up. Because we saw in the prophets of old, we saw Elijah carried up to heaven in a chariot of fire, again, reminiscent of the Holy Spirit. Elijah never died. He just ascended to heaven. And this chariot of fire comes down, swoops him up, and takes him on to his homeland, the homeland we're all searching for, heaven when this life is over. So we have one gentleman say, no, no, it's all about punitive measures. God's going to burn you and hurt you. And the other is saying, no, this is about a God who purifies. Yes, but he purifies for a reason that we would have fervor, that we would have zeal, that we would have excitement, that would burn within us a new passion and a new flame, and that it would carry us upward. 
that this fire of God isn't meant to subdue us or put us down or break us down, but it's meant to remold us and lift us up to where God would have us live in a new station. Acts chapter 2 and verse 3 reads like this, And there appeared on them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat on each of them. Jesus fulfilling the scriptural mandate that John put on him that there will be one who comes to baptize in the Holy Spirit in fire, yet post his death resurrection, the disciples were waiting for the promise that Jesus said he would do, that he would baptize them, remake them, birth them into the kingdom. And in doing so, there was a miraculous event in an upper room where images of dancing flames fell on men's head something they saw visibly. They all saw this idea, miraculous concept. Tongues as a fire. You know, the concept of tongues of fire actually only occurs one time in the Old Testament. This concept of tongues of fire parsed out in the Greek uh, appears many times throughout the New Testament. In fact, we can't, we, can't, we can't break it down to just one phrase. Yet in the Old Testament, it appears one time. It's Isaiah chapter 5 and Verse 24, this is, therefore, as the, the fire devours the stubble, or this concept of the Hebrew word, the tongues of fire devour the stubble, and the flame, flame consumes or consumeth, depending on your Bible translation. This idea that it was something that lapped up, this idea that it was something that burned away, this idea that it was something that left purified that which it touched. This fire it represents something very unique within the Christian experience. We are baptized in water. We let the old dead man lie there, bury there. We come. We raise new life in Christ. We tell our family, our friends, that we are now devote in a new life pattern. But then we are moved into the kingdom. And when we are moved into the kingdom, there is this activity that takes place. The Holy Spirit comes on us as Jesus was prophesied he would do. He comes on us, he lights on us, he sets on us. We might not have the mirac miraculous experience that they had in the upper room where we see cloven tongues of fire. All that meant was there was something like a visual hanging around them. They couldn't explain it. They couldn't totally describe it. So they used an Old Testament concept, this tongue of fire, something that lapped up, burned up. But it left a residue on them. If you read the whole story, those that were in the upper room they walked down and they started to speak in other tongues. They started to speak in a tongue in, in other languages that men around them heard and they understood. And as they were speaking, they were speaking mysteries of the faith. And they literally added from this upper room, small group of people, they literally added 2,000 people in one day to the faith. Their push, once they were baptized in water and then baptized in fire was a zeal that said, I don't even know if I understand what I'm saying, but I'm going to go to every man, woman, and child and preach this gospel, Christ and him crucified. This is an experience I think that sometimes many of us lack in our Christian, in our Christian walk. We lack this concept that the fire of God touched us so deeply, so intrinsically, that we are now empowered to witness. Now, I could, we could get hung up on semantics about the concept that whether or not the, the gift of tongues and tongues and interpretation of tongues was at you at work, there's miraculous gifts all around this story. We don't need to talk about semantics. What we need to talk about is the outworking of what happened. What happened was a group of people so passionate about the gospel that in one day they got 2,000 people saved. 
The people in this room, a group this size, left their church service after an experience, and in that day, 2,000 people came to know Jesus. Come on now. This is the fire experience that God can birth in our hearts if we are allowing ourselves to be used as full vessels, vessels of honor. This fire, it can represent first the light that the apostles should impart, the light that those who are seeing Jesus, the light that those who are experiencing Christ, the light that those of us have as we live a discipled life in Christ, we are imparting that to others. Some happenstance that you walk in, run into people that you haven't seen in a while after you got out of church. You ever done that? You go to a go to a restaurant, you haven't seen someone in like 10 years, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, it's awesome. I bumped into you after church. That's great. It's like the Holy Spirit going, no, dummy, talk to them about what you just heard. Come on now. It ain't happenstance. I did this. Figure it out. Or we walk out of a service and we just feel that high, that boost. Like, somebody needs to hear this. That's that fire of the Holy Spirit. You should share it with someone. You should speak out. But a culture has told us that we should subdue it. Don't talk about it. What are the two things you can't talk about in public? Politics and religion. That is stupid. I mean, come on. Listen, if you can't talk about your beliefs and the God that you serve, that is wiping away half of who you are. I don't care if you have contrary beliefs with someone else, and I don't care if you have contrary uh, uh, faith patterns as someone else, you can still talk about it. You know that a Muslim and I can get in a conversation about God, we don't have to hate each other? I talk with a Jewish man once a month about God. We've never come to blows. I love that man. Why? Because we have something shared in common, a faith that allows us to have a good conversation and the zeal he has for what he preaches and, and the zeal he has for what he studies and the zeal that I have for the God that's in me allows us to have commonality. Now I'm hoping, I am hoping and hoping and praying and hoping Alan's going to come. I tell him, you're, you're going to get saved. It's just a matter of time. He keeps telling me I'm going to be his rabbi. So I'm not Jewish, Alan. It doesn't work that way. We should understand that this, this fire represents the light that we are to impart to those around us. That there's a fervent heat and a zeal which each one of us should be endowed with. There's this fervent heat, this zeal, this passion that comes when we are ignited with the fire of Christ. Some of you have heard me tell this story before, and some of you it will be the first time. But it really wasn't that far from here in the Midwest there was a man uh, who was a switchman on a railroad, and he had one of those, those old lanterns that you see, those, those old railroad lanterns with the little bright spot on it. And his job was to stand there at a crossroads in traffic and to signal to the oncoming cars that there's a train coming. It's a very simple job. Just wave your lamp as the train comes so the oncoming traffic will stop and won't be hit by the train. Sees a car coming in the distance, he holds his lamp up, car keeps coming, car keeps coming, car keeps coming. He's waving his lamp frantically, the car keeps coming, and eventually the car meets the train and totally kills everyone in the vehicle. Now he is, he is shocked, he is more than shocked. He is devastated. It's devastating his life. And he's brought before a judge. And the judge asks him, what were you doing? You had one job to do. Signal to that vehicle. 
The cross-examining lawyer who was part of the case said, listen, sir, I have no doubt that you did your job. I have no doubt that you did your job well. I have no doubt that you were shaking that lantern with fever, that you were shaking that lantern as much as you could. He said, but sir, could you have let that light go out? That one moment where the fire went out cost someone everything. He did all the right things, yet the fire was gone, and it cost someone everything. It is a wonderful analogy of our spiritual life, that there are moments where we do the right thing. We come to church, we pay our tithe, we serve, we do all that's asked of us. There's no fire. There's no fire. There's no passion. There's no drive. We do what God expects of us. And we see people around us broken and they meet these head-on collisions and we think we're doing the right thing. Don't you see Jesus in me? Don't you see my lifestyle? I go to church. Come on, how can you not see the signal? And there's no fire. There's no passion. You are supposed to be fervent with heat, with zeal, with passion. I grew up at a half-Hispanic household. My mom's Hispanic and Hispanic side of the family. And many of you know uh, uh, that Hispanic side is, is, romantic's not the right word for it. It's actually machismo for the guys. Like they think they're tough guys because, you know, they got a couple girls on the side. Anyway, but I'm just telling on the real Hispanic culture there for a while. But you'll watch some of these men, man, they get this romantic spark in them. And it's like smooth. It's like, man, they really know how to talk to a girl. And I've watched some of the men in my family use this, they use this machismo attitude to pull in these girls, man. And you watch this, this fire, this passion. You watch it just outplay in, in public in real time. It's a cool thing to watch. It's devastating when you see the other side of it, but it's cool to watch in the moment. And for many of us, that's the best we can equate to the fire, the passion that God wants for us. This idea of romantic passion, we're being wooed and smoothed into a relationship. God wants that for us, but he wants the passion to, be bur- to burn brighter than that. He wants the passion not only that we're wooing people, but that we're desperate for them. Not only that we would call people into the kingdom and woo them and try to move on their heart to bring them to Jesus, but that we would be so impassioned and emboldened that we would simply say, you have to know what I know. You have to experience what I've experienced. Next one there, the gospel is spreading in the world and carrying it before all men and prevailing all, all, all over all other errors, errors in teaching and in faith, this fire allowed the early church, even in the midst of torture and torment, even in the midst of crucifixion, even in the midst of their death, that this early church would preach the gospel because they understood how important it was. This fire carried them through martyrdom. We get frustrated when someone doesn't agree with us on Facebook. Purity and holiness would come from this fire. They preached the gospel, and this purity and this holiness was on each of these individuals. And man, I could go through the New Testament and show you places where these men weren't perfect. It had purity and holiness had nothing to do with their perfect nature. It had everything to do with their drive, their intention, that they knew their mission, that they were singular in focus, that they were laser-like. They were going to accomplish what God put them on the earth to do. 
In our lives, I think many times we flounder because we lose a sense of passion. We lose a sense of passion because we don't have the fire experience that we should have with Jesus. Jesus isn't the internal flame, and so we're constantly trying to spark that internal flame. We spark it with stuff. I want to go get a new car. Hallelujah. And it sparks us and gets us hot for a little while, and we do our job. We work diligently. We save our finances, and we go and buy that new car, and in two weeks, it's the old car. We do what we can with internal fire burns and we want that new vacation, take our kids to Disneyland finally. And we get there and we chase the mouse and it wasn't all we thought it would be. And that fire burns out. The only thing that will keep you impassioned for a lifetime, the only thing that will keep you emboldened for a lifetime is that fire of the Holy Spirit. As Isaiah, as Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 24 says, it is something that consumes this tongue of fire that was spoken about in the Old Testament that was made realized in the New Testament as that Holy Spirit came and fell on those people. It is something that consumes. If you allow it, it will be the will of God consuming everything else that's contrary to his will in your life. If you'll allow it, he will burn away all other hopes, dreams, and ideas. He will just get rid of it out of your heart. The problem is the Bible is real clear that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. When you are pulling one foot here and one foot there, there's no stability. Those rocks are uneven, and it just takes a little bit of life's pressure to push you over. But when you are so emboldened and impassioned that you know where your feet need to stand, and they stand firm on the rock of Christ, nothing can move you. This fire experience of Jesus is not something that you work up. It's not something that you go to the right conference and get. It's not something that you hear the right worship song and all of a sudden you feel it. This fire experience is understanding that the Holy Spirit of God on the inside of you, falling on you like that day of Pentecost, reignites within you a passion for living, a passion for doing, a passion for being. It's what will drive you out of bed in the morning. As a gentleman locally, and I won't, I won't, mention his name. He's a businessman. And on his Facebook and Twitter feed, he is incredibly uh, business-minded. He is driving his business goals. You can see it in everything that he does. Yet his, the backside of that, which most, most people don't know about, is his entire want to fund the gospel. He believes that God put him on planet earth to fund the gospel, that he would make a ton of money and be able to give a ton of it back to the church so that the gospel would reach further and farther than it could without his endeavors. There's a few gentlemen that I know personally in the Quad Cities, they've told me specifically that's their mission in life. That sounds so shallow. You just want to make a bunch of money? Yeah, yeah, but you got to know why. There's a passion behind it that's bigger than just writing a check. There's passion behind it that's bigger than just getting a house. There's passion behind it that's bigger than just getting the next vehicle. I want to see lives changed. You might be a mom, and it's hard to get up in the morning to get them little brats ready for school. Listen, I've been there with my own kids. Sometimes it's like, dude, whatever, just miss. I don't care. I don't want to fight. But there are times where the passion of being that parent that I know I should be, that passion of being the mom that you know you should be rises up. No, no, no. You're going to go. You're going to be a good student. You're going to be diligent. You're going to be a good friend to the peers around you. Why? Because ultimately this will be a testament of the God that's inside of our family that we can say we are good, not because of our own efforts, but because of what Jesus is doing in us. You have the opportunity every day of your life to be motivated 
by the Holy Spirit, to be motivated with passion and with fire. When we started this church, I worked at a dealership just down the road. I love the dealership. I love the people there. The, the, the ownership gave me an opportunity to put food on the plate for my family. Of course, I'm forever going to be grateful to them. And I remember in the, some of the sales meetings, and the idea was trying to get people fired up and getting them ready to go and getting them geared up. And, and the funny thing was there were guys there, man, they're just waiting for their next paycheck. They're just waiting for the next gig. This is just a, a hide between. And they're, when they're out, they're out. They're gone. They don't think about it. In the back of my mind, because we were starting a church, what I recognized was this gave me an opportunity every single day to tell somebody about what we were doing in the Quad Cities. I got to rehearse the vision of what I was there for every day. New customer would come in interested in a vehicle. I'd sit down, talk with them. Eventually, they'd say, hey, how did you wind up selling cars? Well, interesting thing that you asked me. This is a temporary job because my wife and I are planning a church in the Quad Cities just over in Bettendorf. Let me tell you about our church. I got to do this. Every, I got paid to tell people what my passion are, was. Most of us don't see the opportunity in front of us because the fire of the Holy Spirit is so dim, we don't see the opportunities in front of us to tell the world why you're here, why you're on this planet. It's easy when you come in the door. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Get it. You like the Bible. Awesome. But when you walk in the door and someone asks you, what do you do for a living? Well, I sell cars. That's cool. Yeah, but you got to know why I do it. I want to get a good product in the hands of great people, but that's not really the reason I do it. Why I do it is to fund the mission that God's put on my heart. What, I've do, what I'm doing is funding the purpose that God's ignited in my soul. Maybe you're a teacher, teaching a public school system or a private school system. Someone asks, why do you teach these children? Well, I want to see education, right? Sure you do. But I also want to model for them what a good leader looks like under the banner of Jesus. I want the fire, the passion to be so bright that in context and in proper context, in accordance with all the state laws, I can show you what it looks like to be a real Christian. The world is running from a Jesus that the church preaches like a man on fire, not because the real Jesus is being expressed well, but because we have lost sight of what true passion is. This last statement here that I have written down, the audible, the sound of a rushing wind is followed by the visible, the flaming tongue of fire. The moment where Jesus becomes real in, in, in this idea of the, fl the flame and the consuming flame, the moment he becomes real in the person of the Holy Spirit in that upper room, first they hear a sound like a rushing wind. Then it's followed by the visible, the flaming tongues of fire. This is how it works in our own life. They hear a whisper. They hear a whisper in the distance. I think they're a Christian. But what follows is the demonstration, the visible, this person is living in God's kingdom. This is what it is to have our lamps lit so bright that even from a mile away, they can see the signals that we're sending. It's not about the talk and the religious jargon. It's not about the fact that we're good and perfect people that we're so holy that, that we can't even mix with those sinners, dirty, filthy, rotten sinners. No, but that we are so impassioned, so emboldened, that the audible first, the sound of a, a rushing and mighty wind, that there's a sound of God's people. They are Christian first. And then backing that up is the visible, the passionate activities of God's people in real life instances. 
where you get to tell people in real life moments, I'm not doing this because I'm good, but I'm doing it because God's been so good to me. I'm not doing this because I'm perfect. I'm doing this because a perfect Savior saved me. You know, there's nothing wrong in the world with you shouting the blessings of God. We hide from that so much. God will do something for your family. Be like, well, you know, we got lucky. No, you didn't get lucky. That was all Jesus. I am done with that type of talk. Recently, a pastor asked me about the new building that we're moving into. Wow, man, you really worked out a good deal. And it looks like you had a good, you had a really good uh, realtor and maybe a really good real estate attorney. And I looked him in the face. I said, you know, could it have just been God? Well, I said, yeah, I'm, you, you and I do this for a living. You should understand God moves. And when he moves, sometimes the impossible happens. What if it's just a good God being good to his children? And that type of passion is what the world is looking for. Why are Muslims praised for saying with almost no shame in their voice at all, praise be Allah? They can say it anytime, anywhere, and nobody shuts them down. Nobody says, you can't say that word in here. You're in a public school, you can't say that. You say, thank Jesus, people look at you sideways. Why have we as Christians allowed that boundary to be pushed back? We need to step back into it with fervor. We need to step back into it with fire. Not because we're trying to silence somebody else, not because we're trying to outdo another religion, but because we're not going to allow ourselves to take second chair. We're going to be as vocal as we have ever been. Thank you, God, for the good things in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for the good things you've done in me. The fire starts simply, simply by being grateful. I don't have time to go into it all because we, we need to get out of here so we can finish out the day with seeing that new facility. But one thing that sticks in my mind when I think of that group in the upper room, their Savior, their Messiah, had just been crucified. They were waiting because he said, wait, and I will send you a comforter. They were waiting for someone to bandage up their wounds, to heal their broken hearts. The man they followed and loved had just been strung up on a tree, killed and murdered. It was literally deicide, the murder of God. They were waiting after the resurrection, after they had seen him, after they had watched him ascend to heaven. They were waiting for the comforter. And the comforter shows up in power and in strength. Sometimes we think the comfort of God is easy street. God's going to give me peace that passes understanding. God's going to comfort my broken heart and my broken soul. And we think that means we sit, we hang our head, and God just pats us on the back. Good girl, good boy. What happens in the scripture? The Holy Spirit of God comes. Not only does he fix their broken hearts, not, as, not only does he mend their wounds, not, as, not only does he show them that he is the God that they've been waiting for, but he shows up with fire. He shows up with presence. And they move from that point with fervor, with vision, with purpose. And they see a lost world saved under the glory of God. Understand what you're asking for when you ask for the peace of God. You're not, you're not asking to stand on the sidelines. You're asking for him to get you into the game. Understand what you're asking for when you're asking for God to mend your broken heart. You're not asking for him to allow you to pat your back while you wallow in your old dead life. You're asking for him to put back the pieces so that you can get out and accomplish what he's called you to. Everything in Christianity is forward momentum. The fire of the Holy Spirit is forward momentum. It's to propel us to what God's called us to. And in this church, I never want the fire to go out. I never want the fire 
to go out in this church. If it's just me, then it's just going to be me. But I know for a fact that there are so many of us here today that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. You, are, you have this fervent fever within you that says, I will accomplish the goal in which God put me on planet Earth for. That even in a muggy, sticky building, you're going to go do something for Jesus. We are moving into a new season in our church, and this, this message has never been more prevalent. As we move into this new season, we can either sit on the sidelines and say, thank you, God, look at the miracle, and hallelujah, Jesus, why don't you just bring them in, good Lord? Or we can get purposeful. God, who are you putting on my heart and my mind? God, who, who in this world have you drawn to me so that I can introduce you to them? God, who in this world have you ignited a fire in their belly that I don't even see, but they passionately want a change in their life, and I know that change is Jesus. God, who in this world am I carved out to minister to, to talk to, to bring into church? This isn't a pack-the-pew Sunday morning service or message this is about us understanding our purpose, our ultimate definition in life is to see people raised up. We as Christians have a posture, one where we are leaning down and we are pulling up, and another where with the other hand, we are being pulled up by someone above us. We are always in that station. That is the chain. That is the link that God calls his family and his community, where we are one of service and pulling others up while we ourselves are being pulled up. We have never arrived. We will never get to the pinnacle. There is always someone above you who can help you and there's always someone below you who needs you investing in their life. This is what this fire is really about. How much are we willing to invest in the lives of others? I hope you understand this morning that baptism is a real moment in time that has to happen. It needs to happen. You need to wash away the old dead man and come up new. But I hope you understand just as real is that moment of passion, that point of passion where the Holy Spirit comes and reignites a fire on the inside of you, that you now have a renewed focus, laser-like, to go after what God's called you to be and to do. If you don't know what that is, if you don't know why God's put you on the planet, if you don't know why God has fashioned you the way he has, you need to come pray with some of the folks after service. Come up front and pray with them. Link hands, link arms with them. I guarantee you God will speak to you. And in this moment, some of you have gotten that, that inkling within your, within your spirit. You've gotten that little, that little twist in your belly. You've gotten that little push, that little kick in the butt of the Holy Spirit saying, come on, boy, get out there and do what you know you should do. It's not always easy, it's not always comfortable, but it's a moment where life change happens. Our little sub-tagline for our church, reaching people, changing lives. Reaching people is about the gospel, showing them Jesus. Changing lives is about empowering you to go and be what God's called you to be. We don't expect you to come in this church and stay who you were five years ago. We expect everything about you to revolve, to be changed, to be renewed. Because God has a purpose and a plan for you. And it's so much greater than what you're living right now. And I don't care if you're 15, 20 years in to discipled Christianity. Where you'll be in the next five years is nothing to where you were. You will be so much better, so much brighter, so much stronger. But you've got to keep on that path. Laura and I were just talking about this the other day. We were young and dumb when we started this thing. Started this thing together. We were young and dumb and couldn't put anything together right. God has moved us on a track. 
He's helped us grow and mature, not just in the wrinkles on our face, but in the maturity of our heart. And the same thing's true for you. That fire will keep you on that path of maturity. 